Hi, and welcome to Figure Speech, a program from WRBH, where every week you can meet local poets and fiction writers from the New Orleans community and listen to them share their work. This episode, we welcome on fiction writer Sarah Giacobelli. Take a listen. My name is Sarah Giacobelli. I live in New Orleans, and I write short stories and flash fiction that were inspired by some of my experiences living and working in the French Quarter in New Orleans in the late 70s and early 80s, and also some of my experiences in San Francisco. So all of these stories are fiction, but they're loosely based on things that happened in real life. The first story I'm going to read is called Diary of a Bourbon Street Bus Girl, and it takes place in New Orleans in the late 70s. This man showed up in the French Quarters, said he can get anybody anything they want. Women for the men, men for the men too. Tax-free cigarettes, stolen New York State lottery tickets, hot cars, cocaine, qualudes, all a deal so good you'd swear you were dreaming. Of course, everybody in the quarter got pissed off. Pimps, drug dealers, small-time hustlers, big-time gangsters. We all took to calling him Good Time Charlie on account that he wore a bow tie, smelled like cheap cologne, and said, you want a good time? I can get it for you wholesale, my friend. The bartenders groaned when he walked in. Here he comes. Wicked Wanda raised her dark eyebrows. Mr. Full of shit. Half Cajun and half Irish. She grew up in Bucktown. First time she saw Charlie in his baggy striped suit, she said, I don't run no tabs, I don't lend no money, and I ain't buying whatever bullshit you're selling. I respect that, miss. One thing about good time Charlie, you could call him no wasted time Charlie. Because if you weren't buying, he moved on. He scored, too. Mostly tourists and military types. The locals weren't going for it. Not until Miss Petunia, and she wouldn't have fallen for Charlie's story back in the day. But this was 1978, and her longtime hubby had just died. We had two send-off parties for Big Bernard. One by Pollocks and one by Johnny White's. Both bar owners even burnt up Bernard's bar tab. This was back in the day when quarter people took care of each other. Bernard worked offshore for years, and he left Miss Petunia set up okay. They had a steady apartment on Dolphine Street, and she didn't want for nothing. Rumor was Bernard scored in a truck hijacking back in the 50s. Story was they had a mattress stuffed with 50s and 100s. Bernard and Petunia never flashed money, but they took a trip to Vegas once a year, and she had a few diamond rings. She drank more and cried more and gambled more. We all worried about her. Then good time Charlie showed up talking nonstop bullshit. Miss Petunia was sitting on her favorite stool by the front door in White's. She liked people watching, drank vodka and grapefruit with two cubes, smoked non-filter camels. Before she met Bernard, she ran a little gambling den with a few working girls upstairs. Had a raspy voice from years of drinking, smoking, bartending. The faded good looks of a tough old madam. The weasel always said she should have played the saloon keeper gal in westerns. Give me a Dixie. Give this lovely lady whatever she wants. Charlie settled onto his stool a few feet away. Been in town two weeks, and we all had his number, except Petunia. Everyone in the bar but Charlie was a hardcore local, even the gallery of photos on the wall. Darling, thanks. It's been rough. I lost my husband. She dabbed at her heavily made-up eyes with a crumpled tissue. Well, honey, where'd you lose him? Charlie smiled his false teeth smile. Baby, if I knew that. Miss Petunia stood up swayed slightly in a pair of new white sandals. Her lonely toenails were painted a sad purple. If I knew that, I'd go and find the bastard. Find him and slap him silly. 
She nodded to the passers-by, as if she was starring in a play, and they were her audience. Charlie grabbed his Dixie, walked over to Petunia. Care to join me for dinner at the steak pit? Everyone in the bar except those two turned to look at me. I'm the bus girl at the steak pit, and it was time for me to go to work. Nobody ever got over on the ombre, who claimed to be kin to Pancho Villa, a sharply dressed little guy with a big brain. He owned the restaurant, a favorite haunt of the Sicilian gangsters. Saw a good time Charlie walk in the door with Miss Petunia, and he winked at me. Who's hustling who, senorita? Meet me in the back. Petunia insisted they sit up front by the bar where all the locals sit. Only hurricane-drinking tourists sat in the main dining room. That was back in the day when Bourbon Street joints still had street prices for the regulars. I brought their salads and filled their water glasses. I knew to keep my mouth shut, to memorize every line they said, and report back to the kitchen where the ombre was waiting. Leroy washed dishes and listened to every word. Calvin cooked the dinners, muttered under his breath. They were cousins and always fighting over women. Sometimes they pulled knives at each other. The ombre danced from his left to his right foot in a steady rhythm. He trying to get her money? I downed the shot of Cuervo he handed me. Says he's got a place on the beach in Florida. Says it's romantic. He's going to drown her, get all that money out of her mattress. Her old man stole that money for her. I should get her money. I've known the bitch 20 years. Calvin shook his head, plopped a freshly cooked steak and a baked potato on a plate. Table eight, table eight. You don't want none of that woman, I'm telling you. Martin, the old bald-headed waiter, came in to pick up his orders. Senorita, go spy some more. I cooked up a bucket of French onion soup on his head. Back in the front dining room, I hovered around their table. Petunia asked me to refresh her drink. Charlie called me over to make a big show of giving me a tip, but it was just a $1 bill folded into a tiny square with a mustache penciled onto George Washington. The chubby gay waiter rolled his eyes. The good-looking gay waiter stuck his tongue out. Charlie adjusted his bow tie. My love, we should go into business. Open a little bar, a nice club for all your friends. Petunia pointed at the salt and pepper shakers. It's like this, honey. You're salt, salt of the earth. I'm pepper, spicy but not nicey. You dig? I dig, honey. We're two of a kind. We put our heads together. He cleared his throat. We put our money together. I marched back to the kitchen. He's trying to get money out of her. The ombre pushed open the swinging doors and strutted up to their table. Gonna make a special drink for you lovebirds. He mixed up a concoction at the bar. I don't know what he put in good time Charlie's drink, but he passed out fast. Leroy and Calvin carried him upstairs. I followed. They took off his suit jacket, emptied his pockets. The jacket weighed more than Charlie did. Had about eight grand on him, plus jewelry, watches, wallets. The ombre told us to split it four ways. The ombre let Charlie sleep it off, then drove him to the Greyhound station first thing in the morning, bought him a one-way ticket to Pensacola. Miss Petunia quit her crying jags. She never mentioned Good Time Charlie again. Now, this next story um, also takes place in New Orleans in the quarter in the late 70s. And uh, there were, used to be a series of weekly rooms on Rampart Street. And each room kind of had its own character. And um, so I'm going to tell you a little bit about that. The title is The Rooms on Rampart. The rooms didn't have a name, just a hand-lettered sign, Rooms. Other weekly rooms on the street had names. Uncle Mike's Place, Sunset Inn, OK Corral. The rooms on Rampart had rules. Guy who ran the place, Pete, wouldn't rent to women, insisted one man to a room. 
He made signs on cardboard and posted them in the lobby and hallways. No cooking in the room. No booze. No drugs. No fighting. No guns. No knives. No sneaking broads up to your room. I've done enough time. I know how to follow the rules and mind my business. Rooms are 18 bucks a week. Head down the hall. Soon as they got there, Shorty and Dave broke the rules. Dave rented the room and snuck Shorty in. They'd only have to pay nine bucks a week, long as they dodged old Pete. Pete had this way about him. It reminded me of an old giant snapping turtle I saw at a roadside stand on Kramer. When he talked, he bobbed his head, sniveled, cleared his throat, had this window in his door so he could stick his turtle head out see what was going on. Pete had the best spot in the building. One bedroom, kitchenette, and a TV. He got all that for collecting the rents, kicking out deadbeats, breaking up fights, and forcing the rules. Shorty and Dave were jealous of Pete's sweetheart deal. I met these two sitting on the front stoop smoking. Shorty said he was from Chicago, spent his life riding the rails. Dave said he was from Bakersfield. Shorty was short, of course, and skinny, clothes too big, shifty dark eyes, pockmarked face. About 40, but looked 60. Dave was younger, taller, bright green eyes, reddish brown hair, freckles. Shorty looked like a hobo. Dave, at first glance, could pass for a regular working guy. You looked twice, you could tell by his raggedy teeth and sallow skin and the desperate look in his eyes that he was a man on the edge. Type that would follow around the Manson family. Shorty drank MD-2020, but Dave scored speed whenever he could. Both claimed to have done hard time. Both were full of it. I've been in the joint, and I could pick up right away by the way a man walks and moves, the way his eyes take in his surroundings. I could tell who's done hard time and who's talking out of his ass. Where are you taking the bus to, fella? What do you care? Don't got to get surly with me, Mac. Just making conversation. They call me Shorty. You know what churches give out free food? Right down the block by St. Jude. I don't bother with it. Pete don't like cooking in the rooms. Shorty smoked his hand-rolled bugler. This here's Dave, my running partner. Dave ignored me and picked up an almost new cigarette he found on the sidewalk. Bus stop's the best place for these here. He held up the cigarette like it was a diamond ring. People drop them when their bus comes. He giggled. Hey, you notice you never see no baby pigeons? You see growed ones all over the place. You see dead ones, but you never see no goddamn baby pigeons. My bus came. We get a lot of strange ones in the rooms, but these two gave me the creeps. Shorty and Dave brought a girl upstairs, a big-eyed teenage speed freak with scraggly black hair and olive oil eyes. Old Pete ain't gonna want her up here. Who cares about Pete? Shorty was the boss. Dave grinned his evil grin. Olive oil leaned against Shorty. You said you had something. She ODs the cops come. Nobody wants cops here. Why don't you mind your own business, Mac? I shut the door to my room. I could hear Shorty talking and Dave and the girl giggling. Then they shut up. I figured Dave and Olive Oil was shooting speed. Shorty was drinking Mad Dog. Radio blared, Mama's got a squeeze box she wears in her chest. When Daddy gets home, he never gets no rest. Sounded like Dave was fooling around with Olive Oil. The mattress squeaked and they banged against the headboard. There was a framed picture on the wall of a sailboat on a blue-green sea. I looked at the painting before I fell asleep, dreaming I was on that boat on that sea. My room was much better than sleeping in abandoned buildings or the Ozeman Inn. I was hoping for a steady gig in the quarter, mopping floors or washing dishes. Life was doing me pretty good, and I didn't want them to ruin it. 
There's guys in this town desperate enough they'll kill somebody for a hundred bucks. Old Pete said he had nothing but his routine, and he loved his routine like a man loves his woman. Coffee, cigarettes, newspaper, lunch at the Clover Grill or the Tally Ho, the track, back home to the TV. We had some drunks in the rooms, whiners, deadbeats, not much trouble. Once in a while, a lonely old guy would die in his room, and Pete always said the same thing. Well, you never know. You never know. We didn't have much trouble till those two showed up. Shorty and Dave. Shorty and Dave wouldn't shut up about Pete's apartment. Kept hatching up ways to get rid of him, take over his job. I kind of liked Pete. Had this fridge in the hallway, stocked it with popsicles in the summer, then griped that everyone stole them. But he kept stocking the fridge with more popsicles. Me and the other rumors, Lucky Dog Daigle and flower vendor Moonbeam, we raided that fridge. A popsicle tasted just right on sweltering summer nights, especially when you couldn't scrape up enough quarters and nickels for a snowball or a Dixie beer. Could put poison in his coffee cup, just move into his crib, collect the rents, have us a good old time. Shorty picked his nose, inspected the booger, wiped it on his dirty jeans. Dave pointed a bony finger at me. That one there's listening. I brushed past them and opened the heavy front door. Hey, Mac, I turned around. Did I tell you the story about the time they sent me to the loony bin up in Detroit on account of I killed a man? Dave took his knife out of his pocket and flicked the blade open and shut, open and shut. Glared at me with his Charlie Manson eyes. Pete's all right. Let you pay rent a day or two late. These rooms are two bucks cheaper than Mike's next door. I don't got no problems with Pete. Shorty rolled his bugler, leaned against the stair rail. Don't seem fairy's got that place with the windows and the TV. You come in on our plan. He nodded in the direction of Pete's door. We'd collect the dough, split it three ways. No telling what he's got in there we could pawn. Old Pete died in his sleep three days after winning 1200 bucks in the trifecta. I moved into Pete's apartment. I collect the rents, send the California landlord a money order every month. Never told him I raised it from 18 smackers to 22. I got rid of Shorty and Dave with the grand left over. Wash dishes two days a week, spend the rest of the week at the track during the season. When the tracks closed, I played bourree and knock rummy over by Johnny White's. Waitresses at the Clover Grill and the Tally Ho pour my coffee soon as I walk in the door. Might treat myself to dinner at the Steak Pit on Bourbon Street and drinks at the Bastille in Toulouse. Maybe ask out that cute waitress that walks waits for the bus in front of the rooms. Take her to the movies over by Canal Street. Old Pete, good luck and bad luck in the same week. That's life for you. I put the sailboat painting on the wall in my new bedroom. You need a room to rent, you come see me. I kept Pete's signs up. Just make sure you follow the rules. Now this story takes place, it has a French Quarter connection because the characters live in the quarter, but it takes place on the Louisiana-Mississippi border in 1982. And the title is Big Ruby's Gasoline Heaven. Part 1. Coupe de Ville. Gina stood in the glow of the red neon sign, repeating the words, Beer, donuts, fried chicken, ice, as if they were a prayer or a mantra that would help her figure out how to get away from the three men she was with. One, a soon-to-be murder victim, and two, his soon-to-be murderers. Crickets and frogs were the only sound. You got your sweet tea, Slim Jim's donut... And your goddamn Tweety Bird Pez dispenser, get in the car. Crazy Dave ran a comb through his long red hair. Their fried chicken takes too long. Gina got in the back seat, popped a Pez into her mouth. Maybe scraggly hair on the trunk is already dead. Rocky drove the Coupe de Ville. Dave leaned over the seat, 
We just crossed the state line. She looked out the window. There's nothing lonelier than a black Mississippi night. This caddy's pretty, but cars are cages. Rather be on my cycle, the Widowmaker. Dave fiddled with the radio. Can't get shit out here. Tape deck work? Rocky grunted. He stared the caddy with his beefy tattooed arms. Gina wished she could drive. She couldn't swim. She couldn't cook. All she knew how to do was run errands on Bourbon Street for the doormen and strippers and bartenders and cocktail waitresses and gangsters and bikers and pimps and prostitutes and drug dealers. She regretted going for a ride. Dave said he'd pay her 50 bucks if she talked scraggly hair into getting in the car. Easy gig. She missed running the streets of the corridor and it had only been a few hours. You think scraggly hair's dead? Not yet. Freaking snitch. Rocky lit a camel and looked at Gina in the rearview mirror. Better keep your mouth shut or you're dead, too. She knows. Dave found a Doobie Brothers tape, shoved it in the tape deck. She's one of them kids grew up in bourbon, knows when to keep her mouth shut. Tell her no more questions. Gina pretended to fall asleep. She's seen some shit. Seen a girl blow her brains out, blood splattered all over. She worked the card games at gangsters bigger than the goddamn Godfather. She's run errands for our club for years. Guns, drugs, you name it. She's a good gopher. Dave turned his head and looked at Gina. We raised her right. She's like my kid's sister. Rocky spit out the window. We could have got scraggly hair in the car without her. It's like another set of eyes. Ever tell you about the time the Doobie Brothers came to the Bastille? The goddamn Doobie Brothers and Jerry Jeff Walker, Little Feet. David Allen Coe tried to come in the bar, but we had to run him off. Run to another club. Dave lit a marble. They all came to see our favorite bartender, Little Joe, till he went away. Well, I don't want to be bunking with Joe of Angola. You capiche? You got to take a leak. Rocky parked the car. Be right back. He stuck his gun in his belt and pissed in the bushes. Dave opened the passenger door, shook Gina. You got to take a piss, kid? When at Big Ruby's? Where are we going? Got to find a place to get rid of the guy. He touched Gina's face. Don't say nothing to make Rocky nervous. He adjusted his leather vest over his black Harley Davidson t-shirt. I won't. How long are you going to be a prospect? When are you getting your real colors? Gotta make my bones, kid. Part two. Last chance motel. They left Gina in the room with scraggly hair gagged and tied to a chair. She turned on the TV, watched Rocky and Bullwinkle. Scraggly hair tried to move and make noises. Pear, donuts, fried chicken, ice. You know you shouldn't have snitched. You should have kept your mouth shut. Rules of the street? Don't snitch. Never steal someone's motorcycle. Don't associate with rival clubs. Dave calls guys like you sidewalk commandos. Even though you're not in a club, you can't hang out in the Bastille and associate with other clubs. You got to choose which side you're on. Don't deal drugs in their territory. Don't welch on a bit. Don't stiff them for money. Don't fool around with their women. Never, never, never talk to the cops. I learned that when I was nine years old. You got to be, how old are you, 22? He shook his head. Older? He nodded. 25? He shook his head. 26? He nodded. You won't see 27. Crazy Dave and Rocky came in carrying bags of whiskey, cigarettes, cheeseburgers, and barbecue potato chips. Dry County. Had to drive forever to find booze. Found a town drunk who told us where to find a package store. Can't wait to get back to New Orleans where it's civilized. Dave pushed Gina. This bed's mine. That one's Rocky's. Where am I sleeping? She grabbed a cheeseburger. The floor. Got to sleep in shifts to watch him. Rocky found a Bogart movie on TV, lit a camel. He gathered pillows, leaned against the backboard. If you guys are going to kill him, why don't you just get it over with? Dave glared at her. Told you to shut up. 
But you could get money. Heard he went to college. His folks got money. Shut up. The treasurer of the Sierra Madre. I love this part. Rocky turned the TV sound up. They got greedy. If they just divided the gold up, they would have been all right. Dave drank Jameson's Irish whiskey straight from the bottle. He lit a Marlboro. Kid, you think his family's got money? They own a place in the Bahamas with boats and stuff. You ain't pulling my leg. If they gave us the goddamn Bahamas joint, know how much money we could make? Running guns, drugs, women? This is like a gold mine. You heard that, Rocky? Shut up. This is the best part. Bogart. Now that was a badass dude. Let me watch the ending in peace. Dave pulled the gag out of Scraggly Hair's mouth. Your family got money? Yeah, plenty. He gulped for air. Let me take a piss? All right. Dave untied him. Don't try nothing. I'm holding the gun on you the whole time. How would she know if the snitch's family's got any dough? Rocky yelled during a commercial. Heard him talking at the bar. Dave walked scraggly hair back from the bathroom. Gave him a drink of water and a cheeseburger. When he finished eating, Dave tied him to the chair and stuffed the gag back in his mouth. Get some ice. He handed her the ice bucket. Hey, Rock, you think it's worth keeping him alive to see if his folks will give us a ransom? Rocky kicked off his boots. What if they don't even like him? Lying, thieving, rat-faced bastard. What would Bogart do? Bogart shoot him. But damn, boats in the Bahamas, man. Be lucky to get five grand for our trouble. Dave took the gag out of Scraggly Hair's mouth, stuck a gun to his head. Did you snitch? His blue eyes filled with terror. No. Your parents got any freaking money? Yes. Scraggly Hair's desperate breathing filled the room. They pay to keep you alive? Yes, a lot. Were you lying in the bar about the Bahamas, Joy? No. If I'm lying, I'm dying. Gina knocked. Who is it? Gina. Rocky opened the door. Gina smelled scraggly hair's fear as Crazy Dave held the gun to his head. Ice machine's broken. She closed and locked the door, sat on the bed. Beer, donuts, fried chicken, ice. He was lying in the bar and he's lying now. Rocky changed channels. Wish they played Jeopardy at night. That's a good show, all about the facts. Something that lying, snitching college punk don't know nothing about. Facts. Dave stuck the gag in scraggly hair's mouth. Yeah, he's lying. He held the gun to scraggly hair's head. Rocky handed him a pillow. Shoot him. I don't got a silencer. Use one of these hair pillows. Gina wondered if the guy really was a snitch. She wondered if he deserved to die. She wondered if they were all going to go to prison. Beer, donuts, fried chicken, ice. Shoot him. Shoot her too. You're a prospect. Do as you're told. Rocky turned the volume up as high as it would go. Beer, donuts, fried chicken, ice. She pictured Big Ruby as a smiling woman in a purple house dress, surrounded by children and grandchildren, frying bacon and eggs in the morning. Sunday, she'd make fried chicken, bake pies. She'd welcome Gina into her arms. Come home, child. You're part of the family now. She wished she could have stayed there forever in the red neon glow of Big Ruby's gasoline heaven. Thank you for listening to my stories, and I hope you enjoy them. That was writer Sarah Giacobelli, and you've been listening to Figure of Speech, a new community poetry and writing program from WRBH. Tune in Saturdays at 3 p.m. as well as every Monday at 9 p.m. for more great New Orleans writing. Thanks for listening.